0: When I was in Japan teaching EFL there was one computer in the teachers room there were knife fights to use that <laughs> to use that computer in the teachers room not everyone had one a knife you know, well, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank God.
0: Uh, yeah. Actually, I can, I can tell a story about a knife in a teacher's lunchroom. I'll share that story in, in a second, I guess. But. <laughs> That's called baiting uh, baiting the hook for
2: yeah, the listener. Yes. Like yeah,
0: yeah. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week... On speaking of language.
3: Sam and Angelica welcome John Graves, the newest team member at the Cornell University Language Resource Center. John talks about growing up in a bilingual household, considers how to apply his educational philosophies as the new instructional designer and project manager at the LRC, and shares some heart pounding stories from his past teaching experiences.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University.
3: And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We have a very special guest on the podcast today.
1: Our LRC team has a new member. Woohoo! Yay. John Graves is the new instructional designer and project manager here, and we are excited to introduce him to the world.
3: Welcome
0: to Speaking of Language, John.
1: And welcome to the LRC. All
0: right, sounds good. Welcome to you both, and thanks for having me.
1: So we want to hear all about you. What's your background specifically with languages, specifically with technology? What brought you to the LRC?
0: So growing up, so my mother's Japanese, she's mm-hmm. from Southern Japan. And so when growing up in, in a household where two languages are being spoken was really my first exposure to, yeah. you know, to the idea of a, a foreign language. Um, listening to my mother speak to my grandmother and grandfather on the phone and mm. trying to understand um, exactly what they were talking about. And very often they would say my name and then laugh. <laughs> at, they would say my name and laugh afterwards. So I was trying to understand you know, w- w- what was my mother telling my grandparents uh-huh. about what I was doing. So that's where I, I, I really became interested in trying to decode what my, you know, what was my family talking about. And then later on it became more sophisticated in trying to understand, you know, what my cultural heritage was mm-hmm. and background through through language. Sure. Um, So I, so when I graduated from college, you know, undergrad, my parents said, you got to find something to do because you're not going (laughs) to live here forever. (laughs) And they said, what about, what about you go visit your sister in Japan? Hmm. Um, She's in the Navy over there. Why don't you go visit her and, you know, try to find things out. And in the meantime, you know, enjoy Japan and have, you know, have fun there. And so we had a three month visa. She left on deployment. Um, on a, a U.S. Navy ship, and I was left alone in her apartment. Oh wow. mm. Um, not knowing how to speak Japanese, <laughs> and eventually, after all the snacks were were gone out of the cupboard, <laughs> yeah, out of the cupboards <laughs> in her house, I had to go outside. Yeah, and and so going outside was okay. Now I have to experience the culture and yeah. try to understand how to you know apply for jobs and mm-hmm. do those kinds of things and so it was really survival japanese at that point and so that's I love it. After that it was 6 years working in the public school system in <laughs> Japan um you know standing in front of a classroom uh, in many cases 46 year olds you know mm-hmm. 40 13 year olds um wow. teaching english as a um, english as a foreign language mm-hmm. EFL.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, where I started to really you know, really, really start to understand, like, how my background informed my teaching.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, so that was—and that was really my first exposure to teaching. I think many, many teachers would say this. You don't—many some many don't get formal training. They sure. get thrown into a situation where they're in front of students, and mm-hmm. then now they have to make it interesting, but they also have to make it engaging. Mm-hmm. And also— having them learn something. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I go, wow, you want, the, it's like the Holy Trinity. You want all three of those things to happen yeah. in this class today. like." Yep. And I'm sure many, um, you know, faculty can sympathize with this, you know, this point. Um, after that, came back, came back to the States, um, I went to the Middlebury program, mm-hmm. um, intensive language program. And uh, one of the rules was you can only speak Japanese yep. for... The whole time you're here and i go that's great because that's exactly what i was doing for six years you know being (laughs) in japan so this is just this is buying me time for me to have to fully assimilate back into Mm -hmm. american culture um so i did that and um that was a really interesting exposure exposure to immersion learning yeah you know u.s style Mm -hmm. you know in a in a at at the middlebury program and it was interesting to see how they they taught you know they taught language in those programs it was there's all these pieces of grammar um, that I never learned in Japanese. That I only learned by exposure. Sure. That um, now I know I I started to understand. Okay, these are the formal names for these, you know, Genzai you Kakoke, know, and all these different um, terminologies for grammar in mm-hmm. Japanese that I learned. And so I was I was working backwards,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, which I think is a common story for for folks that independently learn a language as they. Sometimes get immersed in the language, yeah. and then they have to backtrack, and then oh, this is the foundation of mm-hmm. what I was. That's why I was saying that.
1: Yeah. Well, it's kind of like learning or acquiring your first language, right? I mean, you you don't necessarily know what all the grammatical rules are. You just pick things up.
0: Right, and so that was really in its. I, I I see myself as a very high, a highly observant person, mm-hmm. and so just observing what the native speakers do um, and understanding. You know why do they do that? Like, what's the distance between speakers? Sure. Um, what's the tone like? Yeah. So when I was a little kid, you know, tone was an important thing because when I heard a serious tone followed by laughter, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I go, maybe, what? Yeah, you know, maybe they're talking about my grades. <laughs> <You know? laughs> you know, my, maybe they're Aww. talking about how how John's doing in public school. Is, <laughs> that sounds about right. You know, you know, C minus. Ha ha ha. You know? Yeah, so that was um
1: you but, don't strike me as a C minus student. Just just want to throw that out there. Uh, it was a it was a
0: tough it was a tough road to here,
1: <laughs> to this
0: chair right here. Um, academically speaking, I think the the good thing about being a, at Cornell is you're surrounded by smart people, mm. right? Um which is smart, capable people, talented people, um yeah, you know, I could say the same thing for my time, you know, I've only been here for a week at the LRC. It's great to be around that kind of atmosphere yeah. of you know, smart student workers, mm-hmm. you know, very engaged and intelligent, you know, and very capable faculty and yeah. then also the staff here. So, for me that's just been I mean that's that's made it e- very easy to kind of settle into things and I'm excited about, you know, being here. That's a nice segue. Could you talk a little bit about what got you excited about working at the LRC? So I was very involved in medicine, you know, Mm -hmm. human medicine, veterinary medicine. Um, I was involved in education where it was gross anatomy and cadavers and (laughs) um, necropsy and autopsy and those types of Mm. things were actually things that students did to learn how to perfect their craft. and. Wow, that was it was. A, that was a very exciting experience, and I have a lot of great stories that I can share. Um, <laughs> probably not in a podcast. They're pretty big, they're but um, when Halloween rolls around next fall
2: semester, right? oh yeah. yeah, there's
0: there's plenty I could. John's the, John's medicine corner. <laughs> no, it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll yeah. There's a couple that are popping into, into my head that maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, I can't, I can't say. But that. But then I, I started to realize over time that. You know, foreign language learning has been such a has been such a foundation for my life, mm-hmm. like going all the way back to childhood. Sure, um, to a point that it's very difficult to get that same passion for something. Mm. Um, while medicine and your health and wellness and all those things are are things that everyone should be concerned about and be passionate about, it never was the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so, being being around folks that want to talk about how can we learn languages better?
2: Yeah,
0: um what were your experiences learning language? because many it, it's interesting how faculty want to share their stories, how you know staff want to share their stories, but also how students want to share their stories about how easier or how difficult it is to learn a language. And I missed hearing those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, coming back, it it felt like I was, I, I came back to home um, mm-hmm. because I'd really been around this my whole life. Yeah. so, it's just getting back into what I really was passionate about from the beginning. And I've taken the time to understand that that's you know, kind of where I want to be right mm-hmm. now.
1: So That's great. Well, and we're very excited to have you here. So you bring a lot of experience with um, instructional technology, educational technology, instructional design. Thinking about educational technologies in general, what suggestions or tips do you have for language learners specifically? How can technology help them in their pursuit of learning languages, learning about cultures?
0: Well, I think for me, um, because I really started learning language by myself and I was also in a, in an environment that is Japan where technology is just everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I was text messaging in, in Japanese. Hmm. Um, I was reading, you know, websites in Japanese, you know, very much drawing on technology to immerse myself in the target culture. And so I, so if, if learners can find those outlets, like whether it's a website or whether it's, you know, YouTube videos mm-hmm. or, you know, even, even like podcasts online. So for example, there's many podcasts that are online in Japanese oh, in particular bet, yeah. that talk about pop culture,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, anime, things of that, you know, things of that nature. And what's well, amazing to me how much Netflix now shows, mm-hmm. um, anime, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually how i keep up with my um, with my japanese oh uh-huh. sure yeah. um which is probably not the greatest thing because i there's many levels of discourse in a language mm. and anime mm. is, sure. is is not always <laughs> anyway it's it's it, it does its thing and it's entertaining but it's not every level of discourse in a language so yeah. I, I, so I, I think i think leveraging technology I, I think the real tool for it is like review like self review mm-hmm. And being being able to review in an environment where you feel safe, and mm-hmm. in many cases, it's for me, it was a Starbucks in Tokyo. Yeah, um, it was at my house, um, places like that. Because for some students, maybe they don't feel entirely. Maybe they don't want to experiment in the classroom with the language, but then they they go offline and practice at home, and they come back and they gain the confidence to try it in mm-hmm. front of their peers. Yeah. And so I think technology in that regard has been I mean I I wouldn't be a fluent or close to fluent speaker and I I know fluency is probably another topic for another (laughs) podcast right um proficiency in those conversations but um that's where it helped me and I think it can help you know language learners with gaining their just gaining their confidence and and trying things out and you know making mistakes and then Mm -hmm. Trying something and making mistakes, fixing, and then you know coming back to the table and trying again, which is, I mean, that's that's going to be their career
2: yeah.
0: as a lifelong learner, sure. no matter you know where they go with their language. And what about
3: educators? What are affordances of technology for learning and teaching?
0: I always wanted to say to educators, you know, before technology was on the scene, there were things that you were doing well in the classroom without
2: mm-hmm.
0: it. Yep. Um, so, for example, when I was in Japan. Um, teaching EFL I was there was one computer in the teacher's room and um, there were knife fights to <laughs> use that to use that computer in the teacher's room um, not everyone had one uh, it was a knife you know, well, uh, yeah <laughs> thank
1: god uh, yeah.
0: I can tell a story about <laughs> actually I can, I can tell a story about a knife in a teacher's lunch room oh my um, in Japan that was exciting um, I, I'll, I'll I'll share that story in, in a second. I guess. So. But, <laughs> that's
3: that's how that's called baiting uh, baiting the hook for yeah, the listener.
0: Yeah, like yeah. So um, it was, yeah, it was a, it was. It's interesting because I think many faculty go into this, go into the conversation about you know integrating technology into their teaching approach. Going, what are you saying? I don't teach well. Like, mm. What are you saying? I don't I don't do my job well. Like, why, why are you telling me to use this technology mm. and? for me that's not what i that's not what i want to convey to a faculty member what i want to say is is just keep in mind what you do well already mm-hmm. and this is merely an enhancement on top of what you do well already um, and if the converse and this is a conversation about how we can integrate those things if needed but for example for me for the longest time i never knew that she, i wasn't taking like pictures and placing them within a Word document to create a handout. Mm-hmm. I was literally copying pages and burning down trees hmm. and taking scissors and then putting you know, <laughs> yep. glue around yep. them and then putting on, on a piece of blank paper and then copying mm-hmm. them for 40 students. And then someone came up to me in the teacher's room and goes, you know, there's something really cool called word processing <laughs> and graphic design. Ooh. That you, and graphic design to them meant you can drag a photo that mm-hmm. you you know onto a screen and place <laughs> yep. it there, and so for me, I think it was great for me to have the analog and then put the digital on top of that. Yeah. So in very in many ways, what what educators are doing is the analog is what they do with how they teach in the classroom. What they do really well, the the enhancement is is in my case what what happened with me where the word processing and the graphic you know graphics you know, manipulation fell on top of this, you know, paper and glue yeah. solution. Um, so that, that would be my word of advice, like, and and also, you know, if you set up a meeting with me, I'm pitching myself here, but if you, yeah. if you set up a one-on-one meeting with me, it really is gonna initially start as a conversation. I wanna hear what you do first. Um, before I even approach the conversation about how technology can enhance what you do well already. Mm-hmm. My contact information will be on the site. You can yeah. set, up is, a, yep. set up a meeting with me, but that's really how I approach it as an mm-hmm. ongoing conversation mm-hmm. um, that I'll have with you know, the faculty yeah. that I'm working with.
1: And I think this is something that has come up in previous episodes, too. I just want to remind everybody that technology is not the goal, right? Technology is used to support what the ultimate goal of the faculty member is or Mm -hmm. of the learning process and i know that i've i've made that mistake in my early teaching days there are all these cool tools and i'm like oh my goodness i need to like try this out Mm -hmm. for the sake of trying out the tool Uh and not really thinking about well what's the pedagogical implication what do i want my students to be able to do i don't want to use this tool myself. I mean, there is no educational value in that, right?
0: I used to build lesson plans around a cool tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, mm-hmm. so did and I. Go, I. No. Oh, that's such a great tool. Yep. And then when I tried that, it ultimately, failed. those lesson plans failed because mm-hmm. um, it just became disjointed mm-hmm. around the technology as opposed to being fronted by what are you trying to teach those yeah. students that day and what are they going to leave the classroom? What skills are they leaving the classroom with? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
0: how is technology going to enhance that rather yeah. than I've run into that. I've, I I still do it from time to time. Well,
1: yeah, as yeah. we
0: all do, but yeah. yeah, from time to time. But yeah, that's that's definitely a good point.
1: I want to hear about that knife. Okay, the... good. I,
0: I was hoping
3: you'd <laughs> plow ahead.
2: So uh, I, had a, I was ready. With...
1: <laughs>
0: so I had a um, so there was a kendo instructor. He was a, also a phys ed teacher. So and um, at the school where I was working, and he came in. And I was eating my, my bento box in the teacher's room and he comes over and he says, "Johnson, I have something to show you. And I go, what? I he brings out a, I think it was a blade. I don't know how long the blade was, like a two, maybe, maybe a foot long blade. Wow. Um, it was a, it was an actual, it was his, it was his family's samurai sword, like the, the smaller, right. the two samurai swords that he brought out to show me. Huh. And then he said, give me a piece of paper. And I said, what? you can give me a piece of paper. Like, I'm I'm freaking out here because he's showing this knife to all the, all the other teachers. And he takes the piece of paper and he drops it um, on the blade mm-hmm. and it cuts it in half in front of yep. me. And so I went... So that was my... I think that was my first or second week at that school. And so I think he was sending a message um, that I own this school. You're the outsider coming in. and um, nice. And so... I'm really glad that the onboarding at the LRC wasn't like that. (laughs) Actually, it's very pleasant. It's a very pleasant experience here. Um, But just to full disclosure, that was, um, yeah.
3: That's where the bar
0: was set. (laughs) (laughs) So I go, wow, this is really pleasant. No knives, no paper. Oh, man. But that was the story, yeah.
1: You know what's funny? Um, At my previous institution, we ran summer camps for children. And one time in German camp this little kid pulled out a knife of his boot in the middle of camp and he thought that this was a great show and tell because this was a knife his german grandfather had had and had gifted to him and we had to deal with disgruntled parents you know other parents of other children where this eight-year-old is just randomly pulling out a knife of his boot in the middle of the day wielding it around in summer camp so that was that was fun I think what we're learning here is do not bring knives into Places summer camps learning, or yes. exactly, or offices. Those teachers' lounges.
3: I had one of my uh, my favorite English teachers uh, growing up, I guess when I was in middle school had a story she was always handy you know whenever she would help out with things like the school musical or do various things around school and she always had a, a switchblade handy which somehow she was able to get away with huh. no one you know no one ever asked Ms. Brock about the switchblade but one time <laughs> I guess some students did uh, they said Ms. Brock why do you carry that with you? She said, oh, well, when I was first out of uh, out of college and I was teaching, I was teaching in, in Baltimore public schools, oh, wow. uh, inner city schools, and uh, we were doing, it was Halloween, and we were going to carve a jack-o'-lantern, and uh, I realized they didn't have anything to carve it with, and the students said, oh, we'll help you, Ms. Brock, and they all pulled out their knives, so I made sure <laughs> from that day forward that, that so I good. always had one. So, yeah, she was a tough cookie.
0: Uh, <laughs> When you said Baltimore, I, I, I yep. understood immediately. what that, I, Yeah,
3: like I oh, you were it. teaching in The Wire. Got it. Got it.
1: Oh my goodness! All right, good times.
3: well, good, nice, fun tangents. Um, before we sign off, what is your favorite word in a language you speak or have learned, are learning, want to learn? Please oh.
0: share with our listeners. So in Japanese, it was uh, "gucha gucha," hmm. which is like oh, it's all oh, that's all mixed up. Uh huh. <laughs> so when I was started to speak Japanese, that was what a lot of folks said to me about my Japanese at first. So I knew, <laughs> so I knew the less that that was said back to me, the closer I was getting to getting better at the language. Uh-huh. So it. I hear it a lot less now. But when I first started, that was a that was a <laughs> painful word to hear.
1: You know, for a second, I thought you were going to say knife in Japanese. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now they say naifu. Uh, katana, no. <laughs> yeah, katana you know the, all these different words uh, it's just there's so many loan words that are coming mm. into japanese mm-hmm, like every true. year that's yeah there's a lot going on there
1: well john thank you so much for speaking of language with us today and welcome again to the lrc community
0: oh so, no g- glad to be here and uh, thanks thanks to you, to you both next week we will speak with some foreign language and area studies
3: fellows
1: FLAS fellowships are funded by the U.S. Department of Education and help graduate and undergraduate students acquire high levels of competence in languages that are deemed critical to the national needs of the United States. They also help students to gain a fuller understanding of the areas, regions, or countries in which those languages are commonly used.
3: Hear from fellows from Cornell's South Asia Program and Southeast Asia Program and get ready to submit your own application by March 4th. Until then... Auf the Language Resource
0: Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter.
1: Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz.
0: Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson.
1: Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University.
3: As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University.
0: We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.